Welcome to the Daily Canon Podcast. Here to talk all things Arsenal is your host, Matthew Wade. Hello again, listeners, and welcome to another Daily Canon weekly podcast. That's right, we're back weekly. Uh, how you feel about that is up to you. But joining me to uh, see what's happened in the last week, and I suppose we will have to talk about football, hey, hey, because that's why we're here, is Stephen Bradley, all the way from, well, not that far away in Ireland. How are you, Stephen? Not too bad, sir. Not too bad. Another fascinating, interesting, exhilarating Arsenal performance to talk about. Woot. I mean, we, we spent two weeks hyping up the fact that Arteta had talked about how things were going to change and how we were going to, performance was going to be back on track. And we all sat down to watch the Leeds game and we we're like, ah, this, this is going to take some time. <laughs> well, to be honest, uh, it, for me, I was thinking, yeah, trying to do something new against away at a really big club who are one of the best drilled tactical teams in the UK. Mm. I mean, yeah, I, I, I was hoping we'd squeak a win, but I wasn't exactly banking on it, if you know what I mean. I was thinking... Yeah, like, if, you know, you'd, if you'd asked me, if you'd offered me nil-nil at the start, I would have taken it. It's one of those ones where, you know, City laboured to a point at Leeds and everyone's going, oh my God, what a magnificent game. So the fact mm. that Arsenal also got a point at Leeds... You know, not that we're indicating Arsenal and City are the same level at, at the moment, but no. all in all, it's a good point. Ellen Road away will be a good point over the course of the season. A lot of teams are going to go to Ellen Road and get spanked. You know, that lead side is not ordinary. It's just the fact that, again, after the Villa performance especially, and seeing Arteta so frustrated and so miserable and so annoyed and hearing him go, no, I'm going to try and change things. I appreciate that this isn't the way I want it to work. Yes, it, it would be unfair to assume that it was going to be widespread changes. And he did change some things. But overall, the performance was very reminiscent of the Villa performance, especially attacking-wise, where you do come away from it going, this is, you know, it, even though he's been there a year, it's going to take a lot of time for whatever plan he wants to put into place after this to come in. Just, just from the fact that they played so much like they did against Villa two weeks ago. Yeah, and as you say, that's why it feels deflating. It's not that it's a bad result. Uh, it, it's, it's a mildly disappointing result. But what's, what feels deflating is that, as you say, the bits that have been a bit were the bits that were still a bit um, And the, you know, I mean, you can take positives from it. I mean, obviously we rode our luck massively in terms of chances Leeds somehow failed to score from. Um, but, you know, after Pepe went off, haha, when I doubt we'll get to that, uh, the performance after that was pretty good, despite the fact that Leeds had enough chances to win the game, even in that slot. Uh, but we also had chances, which we probably could have done more with uh, at that point and actually managed to have certainly what was equally the best chance in the game or possibly the best chance in the game. Um, and yeah, it's sort of, it feels like, it feels like you're in a car and you're trying to get it off the ground, you know, moving and it's just, there's some problem that it's not quite going, uh, but at least it's, you're not outside in the rain. It's a bit, <laughs> it's a bit like that. And, um, at least our backline, you know, recovered some of their, some of their defensive urgency, if not, if not necessarily total composure that, that they'd lacked a bit against Villa. Um, it's one of those ones where again he did change some things like we're, we're not saying it was a, a, pre a precise carbon copy of the Villa game I mean for, mm. for first he went back to four to back which mm. we all looked at and went even with 
Thomas Partey out and Mohamed El Neni out, we would have said that if those two were fit, those two probably would have played, considering how well those two played against Manchester United in our last big away game. Mm-hmm. And that he would have tried to replicate that pattern and that tactical setup at Leeds because of how well it worked against Manchester United. You know, Leeds, for their their effort, which is insane, they play a lot through the middle. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of their play comes through the middle and Manchester United tried to do the same thing. And you would have expected Arteta to go out wide and play five at the back and use his wing backs and, you know, cr- spread the, the pitch out as far as possible and make it impossible for Leeds to press. But he didn't. He went back to four. And he mm-hmm. played Xhaka and Ceballos as two semi-holding midfielders. Ceballos was given a little bit more freedom, but Xhaka had his deck chair out and sat right in back, right in front of the back four and didn't move. Like mm-hmm. It was a very, a very controlled performance. But defensively, they played really well. Yes, Leeds had three shots that hit, hit the woodwork. But with Arsenal's low block, they only had four shots on target the whole game. You know, they did defend well. If we're going to praise Tottenham for throttling Man City's performance, even though Manchester City had 21 shots. You know, mm. like Arsenal did the same to Leeds. They made sure that the shots w- they took weren't optimal shots. Yes, they hit the crossbar twice, but those were good efforts. Sometimes good goals go in. Mm. What's disappointing to me is Arteta seems to have sacrificed far too much of our attacking threat to make sure that we defend well. Like, it, yes, we played the low block very well now. Like, we played very well. It's I know it's a dirty word. It's Mourinho-esque how we defend. You know, like it's it's but it's very it's very stable. It's very structured. It's two banks of you know two banks of four. Sometimes a bank of six and a bank of two, and then we counter. But just like with the Mourinho side, it doesn't attack well. It's very much lump the ball up to the three up front and hope they do something with it. And we found ourselves doing that again and again and again on Sunday against Leeds. We found ourselves too often looking for that one ball down the channel. And Willian and Pepe are there to beat the defender and then create something. But too often they found themselves isolated. Too often they would beat the first defender, then look for the pass, and it was usually Joe Willock. And that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's too much emphasis on people coming back. And there's not enough emphasis on people going forward straight after winning the ball. There's not enough... urgency it's a little bit like it's a little bit like uh, Mourinho as well because uh, just like Mourinho at Chelsea his team was infinitely more effective when they had a Ghanaian powerhouse in the central midfield than it was in the absence of, an, of a Ghanaian powerhouse uh, the big thing of course that Chelsea that Mourinho Chelsea team had that we don't have at the moment is an absolute beast of a centre forward who could hold the ball up against anyone if he was in the right mind mm-hmm. and a midfielder who was a genuine goal threat uh, and aside from that, as you say, there's, there, there are definitely similarities there. Um, but obviously, we're a bit less inherently shitbaggery. But um, that's that's part of the <laughs> Arteta doesn't seem to be quite so keen on overtly teaching cheating. But that's a different matter. But um, he's 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 not that he's sorted out the defence. But the defence is miles better yeah. than it was a year ago. You know, like like Arsenal now set up, and you're semi-confident of them at least not conceding more than one. I mean, and it's, it's someone I saw something today that sort of I thought was quite quite fun, which is it was uh, it was masquerading as a negative article, but it was in fact a positive article uh, comparing uh, Arteta to George Graham. And that thing of, you're, you know, you're coming into a club where it's 
it's lost its way a little bit. The, the, there's a bit of a, a lax culture at the team. Uh, the defence is a bit of a mess. Uh, and you come in and you, the first thing you do is you stop two people taking the piss. You sort out the defence and then work out how to make things going go a bit better in the in in the final third. And obviously, if 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 you manage to turn that round with the speed that George Graham did, uh, then that'd be lovely. Um, but th- there is there is something there. You know, it's we as you say, it feels like we've we've gone from feeling like a very talented clown show where we've got the ability to be brilliant, but like literally anything could go wrong to now being a sort of very mediocre, serious team. <laughs> uh, you know, you don't feel like we're going to, you know, Villa was was shocking because we slightly got taken to school in that game, at points in that game in a way that no one else has done against Arteta. Um, and, um, but aside from that, we've never looked like getting gubbed by anyone at all mm. since Arteta's come in. But equally, we we're we're quite dull dull we we lack uh, enough bodies getting into the box and also just frankly our our build up play apart from spasmodic excellence is of a low standard it's not mm-hmm. just we're missing things that Wenger gave them in terms of freedom and imagination and it's also missing players who can actually play connectivity football you know we've gone from yeah. being the club that had so many number 10s it was sometimes we'd have six on a pitch at once to now having We've got one number 10 and he's not allowed to play. Yeah. Uh, and Willian probably should be a number 10, but we don't, we're not playing one at the moment. So he's being not being on the right wing without the legs to play the position. Of course. Well, it was, yes, I was going to bring it up. It's one of those yeah. ones where you look at the way that team was set up with four, two, three, one. And after Arteta coming out so vehemently saying, Ozil doesn't fit in my team. <laughs> <laughs> if there's a if there's a game like, again, if Willick Willick is a fantastic midfield number eight, he's not a ten. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it's one of those ones where his his skill set enables him to run from deep a lot more than it does to run from twenty yards further forward. He's not the person who's going to run past the last striker. And when Arsenal are set up the way they are, they need that. They need it absolutely crucial to have someone running past whoever the centre forward is. I think Arsenal did a semi-decent job of mixing the threats up. You know, sometimes Pepe was left wing, sometimes William was right wing, sometimes Aubameyang was left wing. It was kind of fluid, but they weren't doing it in a pressing manner. You know, they were just doing it just to try and confuse the defence a little bit. But because there was... So little movement when Arsenal had the ball. The defence was very happy to just let Arsenal's front three run in front of them. They were like, oh, you're not going to run behind us. Fine. That was also that thing, of, wasn't it? It was the, let, it was the moving of Bamiyang Central because we've all felt for a while that that needs to happen. But it, unfortunately, mm. because that coincided with a team that didn't, re- that didn't really work with. Because about, if you're playing a Bamiyang at centre-forward, you need, you need through balls and you need crosses from deep. Down the, yeah. down the fields, and you need and you need to get enough bodies in the box so that he can do what he's brilliant at, which is finding the empty seam and getting and scoring simple goals. But you know, you know, it's a bit like bringing Joe Willock in the team. Joe Willock is not someone that is a natural midfielder to play with a Bamiang as a striker, because Joe Joe Willock, you know, 
he's the closest thing. We, he's like our, our, our more athletic, less skilled budget Aaron Ramsey. You know, mm. that's what he is. And the problem is, is like Aaron Ramsey was the player that made Lacazette look much better. And Joe Willock uh, could be a player that should theoretically link really well with Lacazette. And the one time we play him is the one to game, we, the first time we choose not to play Lacazette. But of course, if you play Lacazette in the team, then Lacazette and Willian is a bit like, oh Christ, well, then you've got a total lack of the requisite level of mobility up front. So it, it is a situation, it's the same situation we've had and we've all known about it. It's just, it's manifesting itself in ways that we haven't quite foreseen mm. in that we've got a collection of players that are good, but aren't players, you know, in the, in the attacking half of the pitch. They're good footballers, but they aren't players that should really be playing with each other. Yeah. You know, I, like I, think, a, I think our only balance front three... Really, only if we're playing off just three up front and, and, and the two in midfield, our balanced front three is Saka, Abamyang, Pepe. If Pepe's not playing like rubbish, which he currently is at the moment, or you 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 play someone like Willian at number ten, and you, then that gives you a bit more freedom about who you play out wide and, and in the centre, and you've got more options, or you, you end up having Lacazette at centre forward, and you make sure you got you only have one holding midfielder, and you have um, Willock and someone else bombing up to, in support from the central midfield. But unfortunately, even, every one of those options has flaws because the because at least one of the personnel that makes the system work isn't quite good enough. <laughs> and that's the, and is Arteta willing to compromise his system? And it, it right now it looks like the answer to that is absolutely not. And whilst. I can see why. Like this, this is a man. We, we've we've heard the stories for years how he'd spend a year in his apartment in Manchester, and players would come around to for a coaching session, and they'd see pictures on the wall, you know, of yeah, certain yeah. tactical ideas that he had. He clearly has an idea of how he wants his team to play. It's just those ideas don't fit to the squad of players he has, and you can hear the sound of the square pegs going into the round holes every time you see the the team push forward with the ball because he has the very much told you need to be here. 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 And every time they try to you know play that way, it comes across as clunky and slow and labored and just the, not lethargy, but just, you can see what he's trying to do, but you can see the players struggling to do it. Like mm -hmm. when, when we're attacking and we go in that well, very well rehearsed two, three, five, where mm. you know two centre backs, two full backs in the middle, the Shaka usually in the middle, and then five up front. They're so drilled into being in that five that they don't want to move from there. They're all mm. not that they're scared, but they're being told, look, this is the way you need to play. So when the midfielders have the ball and they look up, there's five lads in front of them standing waiting for the ball. And you can sense everyone yo run like you, you've got into the positions now is the time where you make that little area of space for yourself but they're not because they've been told to go there and as a result the midfielder looks up and he goes well I've no one to pass it to I've got five lads standing still and seven defenders in front of me and I know if I pass the ball behind one of the defenders the, mid the attacker is not going to run because he's been told not to so but it's also the thing of, of you, you know the five channels is great but it can only work if at least one, possibly two of those players recognises that he's got to be the one 
that breaks that five and comes into a deeper position or an interchanging position with someone yeah. else. And there's only one of them that does it. And it's the yeah. one person you don't want to do it. It's Lacazette. Yeah, yeah. He's the only person who willingly looks around and goes, right, there's no one running here. I might go get the ball. Yet he's the number nine. Yeah, he's yeah. the lad that, like, you remember the, the Dutch World Cup team in 2010 with Van Persie, Robin and Schneider up wanting eight yeah. defenders. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Louis van Gaal's plan was very simple. It was give the ball to Robin, he'll beat a man, and then the defence will all cave in on Robin, he'll cross it, and Schneider and Van Persie will score. It was simple, and it nearly won the World Cup. We are in essence, trying to do the same thing. It's get the ball out wide, either Tierney or Pepe beats a man off the dribble or Saka sometimes when he's playing. The defence crosses in and then we find the lad in space in the middle. That's it. That's the plan. And if it doesn't work, we either give up the ball or it goes back to the midfield and we try again. It's why when you see heat maps of the, of the, of the game, you see there's so little of the ball in the middle of the park because we're constantly forcing it out wide to one of the wide men. That's why William was brought in because that was his chief skill at Chelsea it was beating his man off the dribble it was able to perform that skill at will and he's yet to do that for Arsenal with the consistency needed that we need mm-hmm. but it doesn't work if, if defences know you're doing it if defence knows <laughs> that's the problem you know like, like Arsenal are very predictable right now so we're set up to play a certain way we're okay at playing it but because defences know that we're going to do it, they've, they've acted accordingly. They've adjusted. They've mm. seen how Arsenal play. They've seen Arteta's style of play for a year and they've adjusted. And now it's up to Arteta to adjust to the adjustments. And it's going to be interesting to see what plan B and plan C here. It's what separated Ferguson and Guardiola from, unfortunately, the likes of Wenger, where it was like they were able to develop three, four styles of play. Well, to be fair, Guardiola's about as dogmatic as they come, but he's got a different dogma at each team. Yeah. Or a slightly different dogma at each team. And also, he's always been able to buy, you know, some That's of true. the best players in the world in every position. And, of course, part of the problem that we've got at the moment is Arteta's, Arteta's introduced a dogmatic approach to, to combat our weaknesses, but we don't have enough players who can do enough different things to both... You know, to, to, if you're going to play in such a structured way, then you have to have players who can both be equally comfortable in that structure, but also breaking that structure mm-hmm. and still able to fulfil their role. And, you know, we just don't have those players. We've got players... Um, I mean, we, we have, we've had... A, and we've had this for years. A squad of brilliant specialists, but not nearly enough all-rounders. And you need, and you need a mix of both in the squad. And ideally, in a, in a, in a first eleven you need more all-rounders and specialists or at least more multifunctional players. And if you're playing something quite structured, you definitely need people who can fulfil more than one role in that structure. Otherwise, as you say, it just becomes like uh, painting by numbers in a way and everyone else can see the fucking numbers in the painting. (laughs) And you're only using two colours. Yeah. And and that's that's the issue with no matter what what style of, of, of football we play, we're going to be caught where the players we have are only used to playing one way where as much as we want Pepe to drive forward with the ball, he's going to try and beat his defender three times. Like it's, it's one of those ones where he's going to wait for a better opportunity than take the one he has. Like the only time he really drove forward was three minutes before he got sent off where he put a ball just, uh, just past the far post. Whereas like that was the first time he actually ran at the defender, beat him and then kept running. 
Like we've seen it for a year now where he's, so he's frustrating, isn't it? Because he's, he's a player that like for, for moments of just brilliant, he's as good as anyone else that's played for this club for quite a while. Mm. But it, 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 there seems to be no, you know, the things he's capable of doing when he takes responsibility and it works are just jaw dropping. But yeah, you well, just, he can beat his man off a sixpence. Yeah. But as soon as he does, he then goes, oh, I've just done that. I'll do it again. And you're like, no, there's 20 yards of free space. Run. Go. You've done your job. Go. Now take advantage of it. No, I'll beat him again. Oh, he's bending him again. Okay, right. Now go. No, I'm going to beat him a third time because now I'm on my right foot. <sighs> I, if he just kept it simple and just mm. once he beats him the first man and then goal, he's in far better space to take advantage of his lightning pace and his ability to bend in balls into the far post because he's brilliant at it. Hmm. But he's too often almost trying to create the perfect scenario where he's tr- trying to make sure, well, he'll beat a man, but suddenly he's not in a perfect position to shoot, so he'll try and beat him again that way. Oh, no, that doesn't work right. I'm going to try and beat him a third time. Yet, we saw, it, like I said, there was two instances that actually leads. The one I just mentioned and the one where the one time he went left wing, Hmm. Where it was like, oh, he's they're going to try him out left wing. Eats the right back, and it's like, oh, lovely. What's he going to do now? He goes right. I'll cut in again, and you're like, don't try and cut in twice. Cut in the first part. Realizes he can't cut in the second time. Goes to the byline, gets it across in, and hits the crossbar. Hmm. And you're like, you're like, why don't you do that ten times a day? You'd be one of the best left wingers in the league. (laughs) I mean, yeah, you just—it's that weird thing. It's so rarely that you see. The combination you've got like a 25 year old prime age huge signing and and you've got uh well now 18 19 year old youth a kid mm-hmm. and you've got this the huge signing has all the talent and none of the decision making and the kid you know has talent but it's his decision making that makes him so good yeah <laughs> and you're just thinking if you could just put a little bit of the simplicity that Saka, that's Saka's greatest strength. He, he, he doesn't, he, you know, he's capable of lots of things, but he, he plays what's there uh, and, and therefore has a, and therefore has great simplicity to his game. You know, I mean, actually, yeah, yes, he can beat people. Yes, he can shoot from distance, but basically his game is, you know, run down the left. And if you can play a one, two or, or a nice through ball, you can. And if you can't, you try and go on the outside and put a cross in. And, and Pepe has none of that simplicity, but yet he's done all of those things to an elite level at times. <laughs> yeah, it's, he, he's such a confidence player. Like you, you, you saw it at Lille where for a year he was able to just do whatever he wanted and it was brilliant. Again, Lille playing low block on the counter, but he was so full of confidence that he didn't need to beat the man two or three times. He beat him once and off he went. And that was what attracted Arsenal to him. At Lille, though. Crucial difference at Lille, and I think it's the one that I don't know if he can get that ability back, even if we get a, because his mentality has changed, as you say, and also the way he's been coached has changed. But at Lille, they had some really underrated midfielders putting in the right kind of through balls for him. Mm. And it's a massive problem. Like Basically, since Santi Gazzola got banjacks, we've had no one who can really play a like convincing accurate through balls with regularity from deeper positions. Yeah. You know, I mean, Elney El- has done a couple of times this season, much to everyone's confusion. Um, 
but you know it's it's basically Santi and Fabregas and then Burkamp that's the lineage of that and and um and Burkamp generally did it from higher up you know yeah. Ursula is a brilliant creative passer but that's actually never been his thing he was just brilliant at all the other creative passing um and as you say you know as you were saying earlier there is still an Ursula shaped hole in this team but the problem is is for Ursel to work, you need the team itself to be better, and then that allows him to be brilliant. But he, yeah. he's just not, you know, defensively without the ball. We know he's even when he tries, he's no good at it. <laughs> he's like, you know, the times you see him sprinting back into a into a pass cutting opposition, but then just not being in the right place, or, or, or like sprinting back to someone and just not knowing how to tackle them. Um, but also crucially, off the ball in an attacking sense. That's the thing where we can see the, the his diminishing powers. You know, he used to be so good at making those second, third man runs from deep into wide areas, or kind of just and just uh, leaving the defence in a creating a chaos, which you need in an attacking third. And he and he seemed to lose the confidence, but also the ability to do that in the last three years. Um, and that makes him half the player, yeah. even though he's still got this dreamy technique. And if he yeah. had that ability, then he'd still, for me, be in this squad despite his defensive limitations. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, is you know, the thing that he's best at now is the thing that we could do with, but it doesn't really solve the problem. <laughs> yeah, it's it's again, it's to your point of he's a specialist, and we need all rounders. It's why you know, no matter how much money you throw at Man City, they're not selling Kevin De Bruyne. Well, exactly, yeah. You know, like it's one of those ones where he'll play eight, he'll play six, he'll play ten. But even Manchester City are finding out that without a defensive midfielder of athletic capability who can, who's also good at ball progression, they can't do what they want to do either. You know, mm. like they're not able to press as high up as they can because they don't have the defensive solidity either. And Ozil's never played with a properly good defensive midfield behind him mm-hmm. at Arsenal at all. You know, and I know Thomas Partey is not a defensive midfielder, but he's he might be the best defensive midfielder Ozil has played with at the club, you know, yeah. apart from Coquelin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, maybe having Partey do some of Ozil's work would help, but at this, at this point, it wouldn't be, obviously they're not going to be able to at least try this until January 1st when they can, if they want to re- re-register Ozil they could if he's going to play 4-2-3-1 more often is Ozil the solution maybe maybe not I would put up my hand and go please play Emile Smith role there please please for the if love of God if he could only stay yeah. fit yeah. that's a, a true maybe William there if Zach is not you know totally banjacked after getting a, a, a studs high tackle in his knee two minutes for the end of the Leeds game hopefully that's just a knock yeah, yeah, having him left wing seemed like you saw how much England loved him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. when he goes straight into the team and he's voted man of the match, and everyone's going, "Yeah, they need to keep him in." As much as Jack Grealish is might might play left wing there a lot more often, he might England might find themselves having to play five at the back just so they can shoehorn Saka into the team. Like that's, that's how, isn't it? That's essentially what they've done. And yeah. it's also been helped by the fact that Kieran Trippier has gone to Atletico Madrid and has really found his game. Again, I mean, he, he was really good for England, I thought. I, I was really impressed. Yeah. Carl Walker, if Carl Walker had a brain, he'd be the best fullback in the world. <laughs> and close to the best centre-back, too. Yeah, yeah. Talking about questionable decisions, then you've got uh, our, our, our old friend Alioski winding Pepe up brilliantly. 
Yeah, yeah. Pepe taking the bait, hook, line, and sinker. It was it's, it's happened I, in a hundred games. I was definitely reminded a little bit. I did get a uh, a Gabriel Diego Costa flashback at that moment. Yep, <laughs> and he fell straight into the trap. Mm. Alioski just kept winding him up, winding him up, winding him up, winding him up, and eventually Pepe went for the classic male superiority dominance establishing rutting of the heads like a deer moment and Alioski went oh you've headbutted me ah oh oh my god i've been i've been thrashed you know this is you know gbh it's it's awful it's an incriminating experience called called the hague i've been shot like it's but that's exactly why he was winding him up for five minutes it's why you know like you I, just, I always find ah. that i have to admit i have to like that that male kind of macho head thing i always find like i know that you wound up i know you're in the heat in the moment but there must be part of you that recognizes that a physical confrontation in this manner is going to have some sort of consequence or at least might have a consequence Mm. so you know it's do you make a headbutt like how are you how are you (laughs) No, but that's the thing. Like, do you literally want to go into the rules and say, "Well, he was—he wasn't headbutting him. He was resting his head on the other man's head." <laughs> like, do you want to? Do you want us to draw that distinction? Do you want us to actually bring out VAR and then go by frame by frame so we can judge the velocity of the man's head going towards his other head? And if it exceeds a certain amount, it's a headbutt, and if it doesn't exceed an amount, it's just a resting of heads. Well, I mean, for me, it's more sort of like. If you're doing that, you know that basically you're nearly always going to get sent off. Yes. But so you might as well, you know, hit it. That's the problem. Like Pepe was there go- slap or something did the same. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And that's, and that's probably why you know, most fans are frustrated with Pepe because he got sent off for doing something stupid. Like if he was going to get, if he was so wound up and so intent of smacking the lad because he was infuriated by him, then smack him. Like, don't fall into the trap of, you know, resting your head up against him and going, oh, you're not going to do this again. Either, n- everyone can hear what's going on. There's no crowd. Most people still watch it without the fake crowd noise on. Call him a conch and make it loud and clear and just say it out loud. Do You know, like, don't be afraid of showing the lad up. You know, laugh in his face. You know, like, it's it, too, too often now people are getting away with what Alioski did. You know, it's it, yeah. people are winding him up, and because there's no consequences to it, yeah. because at the end of the game, if he if Pepe doesn't react, then there's no one saying anything about Alioski over it. No one's no one's you know the manager's not going to him putting his arm around him and going, look, don't do that again. You've been a bad boy. That's unsporting like behavior. No, no one is saying that ever. And if if the boot was on the other foot, and Pepe had got Alioski sent off. And it had helped when Arsenal win, we'd be praising Pepe's gamesmanship. Mm, maybe. <laughs> you know, no, but it's, it's, it's always way where it's one of those ones where if that happens to the other team, it's, oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. But if it happens to one of ours, it's like, ah, I don't know. It's, you know, like it's, it, I mean, to be fair, all as teams as, do it. As as, you know, as soon as I saw the, the replay for Pepe, I was just like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't like a, maybe it was like a, oh. Yeah, yeah. It's that you look at it, you go, he got he's head bottom. He hasn't really head bottom, yeah, but it looks yeah. like he's head. It looks like he's head bottom. And also, like we all know what you know. You do that, we all know what happens. You know, there's 
even if you think, even if there's some part of your mind where you convince yourself it's not fair, it doesn't matter because that's what happens. Yeah. Like there's too many it's instances. It's not a handball rule where there's any any doubt. <laughs> well, would be would now now that IFAB are changing rules back to where they were last year. Now there is complete doubt. Yeah, Pupla. yeah, no, yeah. It's just a, a complete and total mess. But like I said, Pep, if Pepe had played really well for the last six months, mm. we'd written that off and gone off. Oh, Jesus, Egypt, but we'll back him. Yeah. You know, like it, like. It was like it was like younger Van Persie when Van Persie used to go, you know, when he was coming up and he was in his early twenties, and every so often he'd lose it and do something stupid. Mm. And he'd be like, oh, for Christ's sake, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> what is, remember when uh, Leno hurt his knee against Brighton? Yeah, yeah. And Guendouzi basically went out to all the Brighton players and said, you know, do you want some? And yeah. everyone at the time was praising Guendouzi because it looked like he was the only person that was showing a bit of fight. It then turned out that. Arteta and the, the backroom staff were sick of Guendouzi making it about him and not about the team and mm. then basically sent him to Berlin for a year no, and, then, and then everyone went well Guendouzi he's, you know, he needs character building he needs to learn team building you know, he needs to grow up a bit um, anybody say that about Kieran Tierney after the game? Nope No And why is that? Because he's played really well for six months well, it's that the fact that he wasn't massively outed in the press straight after the game by some wanker on the opposition team. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. You know, like, you know, like perception is, you know, plays its part in this too. We are kind of playing things by the result here. So we have to be a little bit careful of that. So seeing Pepe in the, the, the squad for Mould, some people are saying that, well, you know, it's he's being allowed back into the into the fold. Well, he's suspended for the domestic games. So just yeah. Immediately. Yeah. So it's like you're free now. <laughs> you're not doing anything for the next three weeks. You're playing on Thursdays. Like yeah. it, so, it's a, a way to get himself back into the good, good books. League too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's one of those ones where he can get himself back into a bit of form. You know, playing with a few of the kids might help a few of the kids along. Like it's it might work out long term to be a good thing for Arsenal. So fingers crossed. But it's. Yeah, it's one of those ones where it doesn't help his long-term future, where everyone no. the le- the leash that he was on for most mm. fans just got shorter. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And it's that thing of you know, everyone was talking about oh, if he can just get a chance, you know, because he just needs a chance because we're not seeing him in the league. You just need to give him a couple of games to start, you know, so he can has the opportunity to show what he's got. Mm. And of course, that's what he does that, <laughs> and you're like. Well, well, there you yeah. go. Everyone's going drop, <laughs> drop Lacazette, play Pepe, play Aubameyang through the middle, and they do it. And then first game, bang. Yeah, you know, it's it's like ah, that's maybe why Arteta isn't picking him because he it, it gets back to the trust thing. If Arteta, if Arteta doesn't trust you, he won't pick you. And yeah. we're you know, you know we're we're seeing that night and day where William can go to Dubai. You know, get outed on social media, comes comes back. Yeah, sorry about that, and then play Sunday. Like if he trusts you to play, okay. he will. <laughs> yeah, for for a bit until he you know pulls his hamstring. Like it's if he trusts you, he'll play. And it's one of these non-negotiables that he talks about. And it's it's going to be one of those things that going to be interesting to see how that projects in the future. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's also the thing of you know at the moment it's it's also where the team is in its evolution. You know, Arteta's trying to create a. A, a collective cohesion, a collective style, a collective approach. And Pepe, as we've seen as a player, is very individualistic, for better or worse. Mm. 
And so if you're going to be an individualistic player at this point in this team's evolution, you've got to deliver. Yep. Because because effectively you being in the team slightly undermines the collective approach. Uh, or the or the attempts to try and build in a collective, you know, and certain patterns and certain automatisms, as as uh, someone might might have said in the past, um, and you know, Pepe is a challenge to that. So you can you could understand why, for all his talent, he hasn't been in the team as much as perhaps we'd like. Particularly as let's face it, even in the Europa League this season, he's basically stunk games out and then done something brilliant. But and the brilliant thing is brilliant, and it makes you want him in the team. But it also makes you temporarily forget that he's stunk the rest of the game out. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, so he's basically, basically not—he's always going to have that capacity for brilliance, but he's not playing well. Yeah, it's like like going to a really bad pub, but the beer is great. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, you know, yeah, you know, Steve, where are you going this week? Oh, I'm going to such a place. Oh, is it nice? No, it's horrible in there. The music's crap. <laughs> you know, the 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 the, the, the the furniture's crap. I, I can't stand the place. The, the barmen are awful. What's the Guinness like? It's glorious. You need to go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's, you know, there, there, there's that one redeeming feature. And it, I suppose looking at the, looking at the Arsenal team at the moment, it does look like we're in the middle of a rebuild because oh, we yeah. are. Yeah. So it's, I suppose we, the next nine months are a fact finding mission on which bits do you keep and which bits do you get rid of? And yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it's one of those ones where Pepe is right bang in the middle. Yes. You know, it, I don't think many people would be too disappointed if he stayed, and I don't think too many people would be disappointed if he went. You know, it's one of those ones where if you, if the price tag is out there, and that's not his fault, that's everyone else's fault. But at, the, 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 the number on which I would put at how much you would want to sell him for is going down by the week and it's not going up. Yeah, yeah. You know, like it, it, at the start of the season, if someone's to say, I will give you 60 million for Pepe, it's like, okay, fine. We'll take a 12 million pound loss, no problem. That's probably maybe where now? 45, 40? <laughs> you yeah. know, so it's it, like, if, if he plays well, we want to keep him. If he plays badly, we'll want to sell him. But if, we play, if he plays badly, we won't be able to sell him for as much as we want if he was playing well. Yeah, it's catch twenty two. So, and then of course, who else is there to sell? You know, there there were reports of Arsenal turning down a quote substantial bid for Lacazette, but but to be fair, that was from a Serie A team. So substantial bids from Serie A teams normally mean anything better than wanting to take them on loan for three years and then have a Bosman. Yeah, (laughs) and how much would you want for Lacazette? Wait, he's twenty nine with two years left in his contract. Uh, 20 million. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd want 30. I, I, again, it's me, it's me and I mean, Lana Dowd. This book. Player than he's showing for us, but there, there is, this team is isn't just, built for him. Yeah, it's not built for At him. All. He, he, the thing he brings of greater value, the thing that gets him selected in this team is something that he's slightly better at than the others that isn't really his strength. Mm. Uh, and the things he's best at Aubameyang slightly better at, yeah, for the most part, yeah. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, a real firing Lacazette can do things that actually Aubameyang can't. But you know, there's oh, a, a four-four-two with Aubameyang and Lacazette up front would be lethal. Only if the rest of the team is good enough to give him some ammo, and that's and yeah. that's the problem. That we, even if we went to a four-four-two now, 
a really old school four four two with a with a with two wingers that just cross the ball in David Moyes style twenty times a game. But you know, at the same then, time, you can equally say that an old school four four two with those kind of wingers would still be more effective with Bamiang and Olivier Giroud as a partnership. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it's yeah, a sort, like, of, it's a yeah. sort of bit what we were talking about last week. Is unfortunately we bought Lacazette, and then since we bought Lacazette, the team has become an Olivier Giroud team, but only we don't have Giroud anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like we bought Lacazette to play off the through balls and creativity of Alexis and Ozil. Yeah. Yeah. And Literally. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he played with them. He played Thanks, with them. Three, yeah. He played with them three times. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know, but that's, he was brought in to play as the number nine for those two. Basically, yeah. so that Ozil could go right and Alexis could go left and the two of them could do whatever the hell they wanted because yeah. they were our two creative outlets and the two of them wanted total creative freedom. So we went yeah. out and we went, right, we need a number nine just to get on the end of both there so that the two of them don't have to get in the box. Because Alexis was in full John Lennon mode on one wing and Ozil was in full John Lennon mode on the other where it's like, no, we're artists. We need our freedom. We need to do whatever. That. And it was working, mm. but they needed someone in the middle to finish it all off. They needed a Ringo. And Lacazette was perfect for it. He was doing it at Leon. You know, he was the brilliant number nine. And yeah, as soon as he gets there, everyone sods off. He's like, Doing, and then yeah. we bring in, and then we bring in Aubameyang, who's literally running beside him, and it's it just it's just bad fate after bad fate after bad fate after bad fate. We have exceptional players that just don't work as a team, and as a result, we get these these stale, monotonous performances where everyone's looking around, going, "Are you going to run? Because if you run, I I can't run because you're going to run into where I want to run, or if you come deep, then I can't come deep." You know, and they're waiting. It's also the fact that, you know, for instance, Pepe alongside those two or whatever configuration only works. The only thing about that, that Pepe with Baba Yang and Lacazette works is when he gets it on his left foot on the right wing and plays it to a Bamiyang coming in the back post, which yeah. can be very effective. But there's literally nothing else about that trio that works. Whereas at least if you've got Sacra on the left, and obviously you can't play him every week despite the fact that everyone's deciding they want to, that at least he is a natural crosser from the left wing who's going to try and create things for both Aubameyang and Pepe coming into more central areas or Lacazette and Pepe coming into central areas. At least his game offers complementary factors to both to the two other people. Yeah. Whereas, whereas Lacazette, Aubameyang, Pepe... They're trying to play in a way that is complementary to each other, but there's actually nothing natural, nothing in their natural game, nothing that we've seen at previous teams that has made the most effective that fits within the other pieces. The only, the only like good thing long term going forward is that it appears as if these these problems are going to solve themselves eventually by just going away. Like it does. I would, I would be surprised if Lacazette is at the club next season. Frankly. Yeah. It, it's just a, it, again not his fault it's just a bad fit it's just a, it, where he needs to go to a club that's going to go look you play here we're going to play t- number 10 two, two wingers we're going to get you the ball as often as possible and you're going to be running towards the goal instead of away from it yeah. you know we're going to put you in a position to succeed he needs to go for the sake of his career like I'm not it's not like get out while you can but it's it's close you know and but in but terms of thinking of Lacazette's a kind of player that could score more goals in a worse team than he will in a slightly better, in a, in a really elite team. Mm. He's, not, yeah. he's not 
he's not a really elite striker. He's a brilliant striker. Yeah. At a, at a very slightly lower level of competition. And I don't mean that just as a reflection of his abilities. No, no. If he, if, because of the tacticals, tactics that are available to teams who are playing just that tiny bit off the top end or, or in a slightly less competitive league, they tend to play tactics which are going to be more conducive to the way the things that bring the best out in him. Yeah, like if, if, if Depay goes to Barcelona next year, that's if Ronald Koeman is still manager next year. But if Depay's <laughs> out of contract, yeah, if Depay goes to Barcelona like everyone expects for free because you have a contract and Arsenal go to Leon and go, look, here's 20 million in Lacazette for our By November, everyone's going to be looking at Leon, who are going to be either top or second league because Lacazette's banging in the goals in and going, why do we sign? Mm. Mm. You know, like that's, that's the level Lacazette is at. He's, Good enough to play for Arthur when a team's built around him, but he's far too good for Leon. So it's it, it's it's one of those ones. But the point I was going to make is that the the, the the team coming through, the younger players, the slightly younger players, seem to be a better fit for each other. Like Gabrielle and Holding look like they fit. I know they only pass the ball once to each other, but that's just the way the team is, deve- is designed to get the ball out wide instead of play the ball centrally. Arte looks like he can play with anyone, but... If I was to design a left back in the world who could play with Saka, it's Kieran Tierney. Because Saka is more than comfortable just coming inside and looking around and all he hears is beep, beep, and zoom, his left back has gone past him. Mm-hmm. Just to take the pressure off him, to take the right back off Saka's backside. And then suddenly he goes, oh, I've got a little bit of space now so that he can beat him himself. And if he can't, well, he's got a left back who's a fantastic crosser of the ball behind him. Yeah. You know, yeah. so so if if for next five years our left hand side is Tierney and Saka, fine, sign me up. Done. But it's also that Saka can, unlike most of our attacking players, can play combination football. We're not mm. getting skimmed it very much, but he's shown that he can do it. And so that that also lends well with with Tierney, as long as you've got some someone else who comes into left sided areas on the pitch who can mm. also play combination football but that's another question <laughs> well that that would be you would hope the next development of Martinelli's game or if it's in a or Eddie and Ketty's game area, or if it's in a central midfield area breaking forward you know again it's the magical centre goes all about it isn't it <laughs> well that's that, I was going to ask you this because I mean I've seen Matt Smith play for Swindon good god I mean like I He's Again, like the, I, the radar kid, isn't he? Ooh. Like there, there was one pass I, I, I tweeted it. It was like he gave the he he gives he comes in from the left. He gives the left back the opposing left back the eyes to make it look like he's going to pass it out wide. So the left back goes out wide and he just passes it right behind him like a reverse. It's David V. It's David Silva esque, mm-hmm. where it's that little reverse ball in in the channel. Right back picks up at it and it's a tap in. And I was like. <laughs> You've left all you need to do. That'll do. Like it's, it looks like again. If Smith Rowe can, he did the same for Huddersfield last year. If those two can stay fit, well, Smith Rowe's great strength, isn't it? It's it's carrying the ball and quick interchange and accelerate. He's he's got he's got a little hint, and I'm not saying it's anything like the same level because it isn't at this stage. But he's got a little hint of Thomas Rosicki in terms of style in terms mm. of the way he wants to play and the qualities he brings. And, of course, we're crying out for someone who's got those qualities in this squad, he, you know, even if it isn't at the level of, of, of Rosicki. Uh, and, and Matt Smith is... He, I, I really enjoyed his progress because he's been so, like, 
so low key as yeah, like no yeah. one's really been talking about him. But like for the under 23s last year, he was probably joint best player for the under 23s last year. You know, um, his big thing is can he get to the physical level required to play central midfield in the Premier League? Because he's not particularly quick. He's not he's not small, but he's not big. Mm. Uh, uh, his his touch is good, but not amazing. He's not a brilliant dribbler, but he's competent. He's got a great eye for a pass and great game understanding. But he's going to need one of those other areas to develop to make him into a, like an Arsenal prospect. Uh, and I, I really, I'm really hopeful for him because I, I like, you know, he's one of those players that you, if he can just get one of those other elements, you could see him doing well because he plays a he, and has done for a couple of years. He plays a pro game. Yeah, you know, a yeah. lot of kids are under 23 level, like the the archetype was J. Emmanuel Thomas, who absolutely beasted it at that level. But you're thinking, well, they're just not going to let you do that in the Premier League. <laughs> you're not going to be allowed. Yeah. You know, the things that you're doing to all these kids here, you're just not going to be able to do. Casa, can you do, can you, again, it's just, can you play with simplicity when the situation requires it and still be effective when you're being simple? Yeah. Uh, and do you have the judgment about when to be simple and when not to be? And I think Matt Smith has got a bit of that. It's all about, you know, it's all about his physical development and if he can get a bit more nimble on his feet, because um, he can be a little tiny bit leaden footed at times, which is which is something he's got to he's got to work on. Um, but yeah, there's there's some excitement there for sure um, in terms of someone who's got qualities that we are otherwise lacking. And I totally yeah. agree with the point you're making about the players we've got coming up having we don't know if we don't know if any of them apart from Saka are going to get to the level that we really need but they have they have a, a synergistic complementary nature with each other you know Nelson and Enketia obviously click uh, Martinelli seems to click with Nelson he clicks with Saka I mean he's, he may be a player who can click with a lot of players from what we've seen of him if he can get back to his level Jill Willock certainly certainly plays well with Nelson um, sadly, they've they've been interchangeable a bit too often, um, and and even though Inketi is not the best at holding it up, he seems to have a decent understanding with Inketi as well. And mm. uh, you know, and and you can you can go throughout the squad as you say. There's obviously the fact of the matter is that most of those guys will not make it at Arsenal long term. Yeah, uh, but at least they present a cohesion, <laughs> which is otherwise absent. Yeah, but like I said, it's it's looking for those players who are quote all rounders. I I I don't want I, I don't expect every player that's going to be a Bakari Saka and you know staff ring the nineteen and have formations catered to him. I I get that, but we need, we could do it a couple more agency met and You know, players that can fit into a team, say not two or three spots, but can go right. He needs to play there. Like there needs to be a little bit more long term progression implemented at the club where Arteta is going to play a certain way we need players to fit in to play this yeah. certain way you know like it's no coincidence that Phil Foden has been given a chance to play in every single position in the Man City midfield for the eventuality that he'll be playing in centre midfield in two years and when they do all this pressing he can be anywhere like they, they are, they're, they're, there's a progression in place there for them and you would want to see there's no one who looked at that more at what happened at City than Mikel Arteta. Again, I'm not expecting Arsenal to play like Man City, but 
I'm certainly expecting certain aspects from that team to be implemented at Arsenal because of how well it worked. You know, like it's it's one of those ones where you can't you can't be at Pep Guardiola's side for three years and not be influenced by the way his teams play. You can't not play for Arsene Wenger and be influenced by the way he set up his teams. You yeah. can't, you know, have two influences on your footballing career and then develop a side that is based on a low a low block and playing counter-attacking. You know, like, this cannot be, maybe I'm being hopeful here, but the ambition he is showing offensively right now is a little bit lacklustre for someone who has spent so much time playing and working under Arsene Wenger and Pep Guardiola. And quite apart from that, you know, a player who came up through La Masia, whose formative education was basically Cruyff, you know, Cruyff-style football, you know, whose heroes, apart from Guardiola, were a player, were all these, you know, beautiful ball-playing, you know. I, I mean, I don't think there's anyone that thinks that what we're doing is what Arteta wants. The question is, is can he get the team to do what he wants? We, we know this isn't what he wants. And we know, and, we, and anyone who's looking at it seriously knows that half these players are players he's using because he's got them yeah. rather, rather than players he would want. And, and, and which is a no surprise to anyone because every Arsenal fan that's talked about it any length has commented on the fact that our squad building, you know, for the last four or five years has made bugger all sense for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's been like, oh, here's a good player, we'll buy a good player. It's like, well, yeah. What, what, where are they going to go? You know, at, at least at least we can. What we can take comfort from is the fact that, quite apart from obviously being good signings to this to date, you know, from what we've seen of them, Gabriel and um, and Party look like players that are, are, are going to be good players for us and fill mm. obvious weaknesses. And and there's just there's you can't really find a, a logical fault in them, you know. Uh, it might not work out, but the logic is impeccable. Yeah. Know, the, the right profile, the right sort of age profile for our different needs in those positions. You know, Tierney's obviously been a good signing, but we've been tracking him since he was 17. So it's hardly surprising that he was a good yeah. signing. We've watched him a million times. And and everyone who knew anything about football knew that he was like one of the best young left backs and certainly in the UK, maybe in Europe, so like have a boot, have a prize. Yeah. Um but that's that. That, by the way, is why Arsenal have no chance of getting Zobazlai. Like that, like the like Zobazlai is the the young lad from Red Bull, yeah, Camp, yeah, yeah. Red, Red Bull Solid Sport. Like yeah. no one's like there's not if Arsenal get him. I I know he's got twenty five million euro release clause, but it's not one of those ones where he's like a wonder kid in football manager where you do a scouting search and it's like oh no clubs interested and he's got like fourteens and fifteens in every stat and he's twenty and he's like oh yeah, yeah I'll just put it in a cheeky yeah go on, oh I'll get him no one thought of him everyone knows he's there yeah you know, like and like he's he's there the last three or four years I mean yeah, anyone but, really anyone who's geeky about football like. There's no oh this is amazing young kid who's got come off the bench a few times he looks like he's got an ability oh he's Starting to get into the team, he's really good. Yeah, he's playing for every week. He's really good. Oh, he's yeah. starting to dominate. It's like, well, yeah, we we knew this was going to happen. Yeah, like um, maybe maybe not to this extent. I don't think anybody would be like you know single handedly carrying Hungary to the Euros, but he did. Like, yeah. and it's it's like he's kicked on leaps and bounds in the last maybe six to nine months more than anyone had expected. But the idea that if Arsenal come in with twenty five million and go, oh yeah, no one else has wanted like. 
Red Bull Leipzig, who are Red Bull Salzburg's parent club, probably already have the money in a in a in a in a paper check. So here you go. <laughs> remember, remember how you didn't sell, give us Haaland twelve months ago? Yeah, you're not making that mistake again. <laughs> we're taking we're taking him and we're having him. Remember this, and that, and unless you want your your Red Bull money not to go to someone else, you'll hand us him. Thanks very much. You know, like it's it's mad that. Dortmund have, you know, obviously the best young striker in world football. Yes. I still don't know how Dortmund got him and for so cheap. It was ludicrous. It's like, like I mean, obviously Dortmund have a great reputation for developing players and that's, yeah. that's what it is. But it's like everyone knew about this guy. I mean, Jesus. Again, he's another one. If you're, if you're a geek about football, you didn't know he was going to be this good, but you knew about him for quite a long yeah. time. Yeah. But the, the mad thing is that Dortmund took off the best young striker in football and replaced him with the best young striker in football. <laughs> you saw for Mukoku, who was like 16 years and one day old, yeah, and has yeah. and has been banging them in. Like he was he was banging them in for Dortmund's under 17s when he was 12. At like three goals a game or something. Three goals a game. <laughs> yeah. like, like he's almost like playing FIFA. So like they brought he was 16 years and one day old. Literally, this as soon as they could bring him up, yeah, you're getting called up. That's it. You're ours. That's the end of story. And it's like I'm getting slightly annoyed with Dortmund buying all the players I used to get from the peanuts. <laughs> <laughs> just pay Dortmund a football manager, just saves saves you three hours of, t- of time just going through the database looking for all the wonder kits. Oh, they're all at Dortmund. Happy day. Yeah, but but as you say, I mean the only thing the only way we're gonna get him is if Arteta can say to him, like, we need you know, we need a player that plays in your position. Mm. We don't have anyone else that plays in that position apart from a young homegrown lad who's always injured, sadly. So you're basically going to play every week <laughs> in the top league in the world. Okay, we may not be the best team in that top league. Yeah. But is that going to be enough? Because I'm sure there'll be other teams that are also offering the same thing. That's the problem. Like If Arsenal do come in with, obviously it has to be 25 million, but he's 20 years old. You're offering him six figures? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's it, it's a tricky one. It's... Again, would I like him? Yes. Are we? It's a it's a lot of eggs to throw in in a rather small basket. You know, it, it's it's it would seem like we're trying to not do it on the cheap, but it's like this is how much we've got. If we can get him, we're not going to get anywhere close to him for this money. So, it's it's one of those ones where it's another instance of how yes, the owner put in a little bit of extra money for the party capture. But how many times are we going to be able to go to that well before he starts asking, well, you've spent all my money. Why are we still 10th? Yeah. You know, there's not to, like just like there's not too many times Edu or Arteta would be able to play that card to Stan Kroenke without risking job security. Mm. So if they're able to say it for 20, 25 million, fine. But if, for I say, Arsenal don't qualify for the Champions League next year, and they go to Kroenke and they go, we need another 50 million and the pandemic's finances aren't, you know, as rosy as we are hoping they're going to be in nine months. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's no surprise that Spurs came out a couple of days ago when they never do at the end of the year. They always leave their their calendar, their calendar release of their finances till March, April when they're in a good position. They go, oh yeah, by the way, we've made this. They made it perfectly clear to everyone, we're broke. We're losing an absolute ton of money here we need all the help we can get we've already taken the loan out and we've lost another 70 million as it is we need help you know it was the, you know clubs are not players and your bastards that's what we have to do <laughs> there, is, there, is, there is there is that 
there is that, but you know, the idea that we're just going to be able to spend another 50, 60 million on players, at least without losing a couple, mm-hmm. is pretty fanciful at the moment, unfortunately. So, yeah, well, you I mean, know, we've gone full circle. We're back to, we're back to, uh, you know, Wenger Ball circa 2005, but unfortunately, without having a shit kind of world class players still knocking around, even if they're slightly declining, you know, which is what we had at the time. We're trying to, we're going to be doing the same thing of let's hoover up those kids as best we can, which is going to obviously be harder post Brexit. Thanks, guys. Um, but, you know, for instance, it's why, you know, we've made signings like this kid Moller who's playing in the, in the under 23s, who's, mm. you know, definitely a bit, a bit Nicholas Benton like, hopefully. Hopefully, doesn't look quite as talented, but hopefully less bonkers. Um, yeah, but again, at least he would fill it. A kick from Germany that's going to be joining in January, this centre half. You know, we're going back down that route because it's what we have to do. Yeah, but at least with Moller, you immediately look at him and go, "Ah, yeah, we know exactly why he's being signed." Like, yeah. If yeah. if Arteta is going to play again that Mourinho template of football, which requires a number nine to hold the ball and be semi decent on it. He's that. I'm not saying he's immediately going to come into the side and be Didier Tuck in a year. No. But you look at him and you go, ah, oh, yeah, if you're going to play that style of football, you're much much more likely to play someone with his physical attributes than you are Balogun, unfortunately. Yeah. But, you know, he although would be Balogun's much more... Strong, although Balogun's not an insubstantial physical presence. No. A bigger, stronger lad naturally than Lacazette or Nketi. Yeah. But it, it's one of those situations where you can see why he was signed. Oh, yeah. Where it's like, yeah, we need someone of that ilk to be able to fill a need, and there's no one even close to him at the club. So it's like, yeah, it's, it, there's two football people who actually know something about football, having some influence over the transfers now. Hmm. What a change! <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's yeah, it, again, it's it's one of those ones where we we have to keep reminding ourselves that Arsenal are in a rebuild, and this thing is going to take time. And as much as the FA Cup was fantastic it was certainly not an illustration of how close Arsenal were to its rivals where it's like Liverpool can lose a defence one of yeah. its main stars and still thrash Leicester you know yeah. we're like, we, we saw how troublesome we found Leicester to be and then Leicester go up to Liverpool and get spanked although like, that Leicester it, game I mean that pissed me off in a way the way the narrative surrounding because everyone was getting blowing smoke up Brendan Rodgers' arse and saying everyone how wonderful Leicester, Leicester were but like we weren't great in the second half and they caught us in the inevitable Jamie Vardy sucker punch, which, which narrative was in place before the game even started. But, you know, we got cheated out of a perfectly good goal and we should have scored about three or four more times yeah. in the first half. Like, we should have gubbed Leicester. Yeah. We just didn't, we just basically were cheated and then didn't take our chances. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Leicester are a team that they... They frustrate me because they, occasionally they're really good, but I, I don't actually, I'm not impressed by them, but they, they, they get more yeah. results than they play deserves. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Whereas yeah. Liverpool are just on another level. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's the thing. Like, like it, it took Jurgen Klopp three and a half years to get Liverpool to where they are now. And yeah. even then it took buying the world's most expensive centre half and the world's most expensive goalkeeper yeah. before they got close from, never mind second, they were fourth and fifth for three years and then made a massive jump with Allison, and then made another massive jump with Van Dyke, and then suddenly they're the best team in the world like, yeah, basically, like, basically they got lucky that Barcelona's ego was wounded about Neymar and they could yeah. get so much money for Coutinho they could sort out their two positions of weaknesses yeah. with, one, with one sale 
with buying yeah world-class players in those positions and that that's that's basically what made Liverpool go from being you know and even with Van Dijk's absence obviously now they've, they've developed a team they've got a confidence which carries them and also to be fair an- another player that I spotted when he was playing in Switzerland or something uh, Sadio Mane has become one of the best wide players in world football like mm-hmm. one of the very best like his his performances week after week are extraordinary because it's not just his goals and his assists it's his work rate his defensive work his understanding of his players and you know we, I mean you probably like me remember seeing him playing for Senegal in the Olympics in 2012 and going oh who's this yep. guy yep. And yes like, why is no one buying this guy why is no one oh he's ended up at Southampton yeah. why is no one buying this guy <laughs> oh, he's gone to Liverpool. Oh, bloody hell! When Diego Jota went to Liverpool for forty million, I was like, "Why did Wolves do that?" Yeah, <laughs> and, and then and then it becomes abundantly clear that Jota goes into a system that plays far more, like plays thirty yards further up the pitch, plays yeah. pressing, and then suddenly, oh yeah, Jota actually does run around a lot. Oh yeah, Jota actually does get into the ball. Oh, he scored again. Okay. And, but and he was like, always like the player that when you played against Wolves, like, yeah, Domitro is very eye-catching and muscular and, hmm. and, and Jimenez is a big finish. But Jota was always the one who was like, he scares me. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, speaking of the Wolves game next Sunday, <laughs> if, 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 our, if Wolves do play Adama and Nelson Semedo on the right wing like they did against Southampton, I would not fault Mikel Arteta one bit if he played a Bamiyang left wing again, because those two are could not defend as well. Might, might yeah, back in the team. They, 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 those two can't defend for talkies. Like Semedo's reputation is based purely on being good at FIFA. Well, he's he's a very good attacking fullback. You just he's a winger in his own half. Yeah, like like he is Danny Alves without the defensive work rate, which hmm. is saying something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 you know, yeah. like he. It's why you know Wolves can't play a damn right wing right now because they're basically playing two right wingers if they do. So they tried it against Southampton and Theo Walcott was like, there's no one marking. Yeah, he had a tap in. Like it's like if if Arsenal can take advantage of that and just play down the left wing like they always do, I'm a lot more confident of beating a Wolves side that has such a glaring deficit where we have a glaring strength. So it's. I would be more confident of that. This is a question, right? Why did Wolves sell Matt Doherty to Spurs for peanuts? Like, um, so they like, could bring, so they could bring in Semedo for more peanuts. It's, so they, it's, could, it's, they could get another baffling. Portuguese guy in, basically. Yeah. Like, it's baffling. Like Doherty is a fine. Like, going to Tottenham bottom for nothing. What was it? Ten yeah, million, yeah. twelve million, nothing. Like yeah. he is a, a quality, quality fullback. Oh, and, and wing back as well. Yeah, which yeah. now that Spurs have stumbled into, they're like, well, we'll just play five, two, three. We'll play what England are trying to play, except with better players. You know, instead instead of you know Raheem Sterling, who's really, really good, but occasionally doesn't find himself in a position to finish, we'll play Hyun Min Son, the most underrated footballer in the world. You know, and then on the other side, we'll play Gareth Bale when he's fit. And it's like, well, yeah. you're gonna need you're gonna need two speedsters, a fullback to do all their work. Good news. Yeah, you know, we've got Reiki Lon who basically won the won the, the Europa League for Sevilla playing left wing, and then Matt Doherty who's done Adama Traore's defensive work for two years. Two lads who know exactly what it's like to go bing, 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 bing up and down the wings all game. Yeah. 
yeah, it's yeah. you know it's you know again playing to a system like Mourinho's gone okay well I've got three really good forwards two really good wing backs and three centre backs who won't run I'll play five at the back then I just need two midfielders who are going to keep the ball and one of them is going to be a nasty fouling fecker Oh, look, Pierre-Emerick Heuberg. How are you? It's that thing as Mourinho is, it's like he's gone from United where they had loads of money but wouldn't buy any of the players he wanted. They just Mm. buy lots of good players. And he was like, I I don't know what to do with these. These aren't the ones I want. (laughs) We've got no money, but you can spend whatever we've got on whatever you like. If you can find find something to do with this, and he's gone... Yeah, that's better for me. <laughs> that's better for me. That that'll that'll do. All all your young players, we don't need them. <laughs> Delhi uh, Ali, okay. nah. Like it's but again, playing to a plan. And we hope that sooner rather than later Arteta's architecture will start to show fruition. That the yeah. way he wants to play will become a little bit more apparent. And that it's something that fans can then back buy into and can go, right, we're gonna play this way. It's a bit more expansive. It's a bit more attacking. It's a bit more energetic. It's a bit more on the front foot. It's a bit more focused on not trying to concede one and it is actually trying to score one. It just looks like too much. They're trying to play on the back foot where he's adamant that they're not conceding more than one goal. And as a result, the amount of risk he's willing to let the team take is diminished to a point where the team cannot play the attacking football he wants them to play. It's you know he's got to, he's got to go from the the mindset of I'm not losing to I might lose, you know he's he's got to push forward a little bit he's got to take the reins off he's got to let this team make mistakes. Well, it's that and thing, be- isn't it? You know, he bef- before or sort of uh, just before and after lockdown, he found a system that enabled the team to in big games make sure it was always in those games and if. And if the strikes were on form, we'd win them. Mm. That's what he found. And now he's come to a new season where none of the attacking players are really in form. Mm. Um, and everyone else has sort of has been watching what he did and going, well, we're not going to let ourselves fall for that. Yeah. Um, so he's having to kind of, you know, last season he came up with a system that was expediency, but it was effective. This season, that expediency is no longer effective, but he doesn't really have the players to play the way he'd want to play. So he's going, how can I get something which is halfway between expediency and what I want to do when I don't have those players? So that's the thing he's kind of... Because you can see, even when he's playing five at the back nominally, he's trying to find a way to get more in midfield or at least in attacking areas via that, whether it be, you know, our our amazing rotating left side or, you know, whatever. But but he's kind of not wanting to, he's not wanting to throw out the baby with the bathwater, but unfortunately the baby still, the half the bathwater was still on the baby. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's a, can he, he's trying to tweak when he might have to be slightly more revolutionary. Yeah. But obviously that revolution comes with risk and, and that's, that's the, the thing that he's in. And also, He's trying to do it with essentially the fact that he's only ever played for or at teams with or coached at teams with at least one or two really good attacking or goal-scoring midfielders. 
Like even at when it was at Rangers, it was when I think Gascoigne might have been there. But when he was at when he was at PSG, I don't know if it was when Ronaldinho was there, but they had a good midfield at that time. When he was at uh, Everton, they had Tim Cahill, who not the best all-round player, but he'd get you twenty goals a season from midfield. You know, obviously at, at Arsenal, he was quite spoiled for attacking midfielders, and then again coaching at Man City, and he hasn't got any of those things. Joe Willock is, you know, has the potential to be some of them the real real goal threat. And obviously, Thomas Price is a fine player, but we don't have any creative midfielders. So as you said earlier, the big hope that we have really in that area at the moment, because we is either either somehow we can convince a certain Hungarian that London is the way forward, or Emil Smith-Rowe can stay fit long enough so at least what he, we can see what he can bring to you know as a player that that is happy in, in, uh, in being involved in half spaces. You know, Willian can do that a bit as number ten, and I think if 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 Nelson was more, how can I put it, uh, demonstrative and aggressive in his play, and if Pepe was not such a mess of inconsistency, we might see Willian play ten and just play some of that linking play, uh, although in a slightly different style. Um, but yeah. With that's that's basically his options at the moment. If he wants to play a creative linking player, he's got to find a way to get Willian on the ball because Willian seems to be the only person apart from Elmeny who knows how to pass it to Hector Bellerin. And yeah. um, or or Emil Smith Lowe's got to get fit because our other players are perfectly good players, but none of them do that. You know, that's why Saka is becoming our kind of de facto number 10 playing at left wing back, <laughs> which obviously. He plays centre mid at one point. Like if if they're going to still play this four two three one, then having his him as a secondary centre mid almost be as the defensive mid who doesn't play defensive mid but plays left back when we're defending. Mm. You know, it's something along those lines where instead of every when we assume a defensive mid that he, he drops ten yards back, but he his his role as a defensive midfielder might be to go ten yards left. So that Tierney comes in and plays the third centre back, and we play five. Like it might be one of those situations where he ends up, you know, creating another role for football manager to implement into their defensive midfielders. <laughs> but, but it's you know whatever you know whatever the second carrier and all this nonsense is like just pick just pick him as halfback, he'll be fine. But it, it's coming up with new roles and new new positions for players to play is. A hell of a thing to do when A, you're trying to make sure that your team finishes at least fourth so you get Champions League money next year. And B, when it's your first job. Like we 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 tend to forget that this Arteta is literally learning this job on the fly. And being a Premier League manager is damn bloody hard. And just everything that goes into it, you know, whether making the right substitutions at the right time, picking the right squad of 18 at the right time, making sure that you've got enough options on the bench to play in the, in the position that you want to play. Like there's so many things that he's having to learn whilst doing them, that there's bound to be hiccups. There's bound to be missteps. There's bound to be mistakes made. And as much as we talk about him being, you know, a Supreme communicator and getting a team culture in place, he's got to do all this at once. Simultaneously. Having inherited a team that was a mess. Yeah. Yes. You, look at, you look at when, you know, Mourinho going to Spurs. I mean, yeah, he's doing great with them now and fair play to him. Um, but that was a very solid team that had kind of lost its way in over a period of about six to nine months. Mm. But basically had been playing with the same individuals in a very functional way 
uh, at a very high level for three or four years. Yeah. You know, you look at all the other new appointees have gone to gone to clubs, which, you know, some of the foundation pieces are, are already in place. Whereas when Arteta came to Arsenal, the club was the biggest mess it's been since George Graham got told off for envelopes. Yeah. You know, um, and and even and as you know, Unai Emery was was our Bruce Rioch for the for the modern age, but the difference is is that uh, you know Bruce Rioch got fired before he completely destroyed the team's morale and all the relationships in the team. Yeah, so we got to have a Bruce Rioch having that nice first season of almost making the top four, and and having a bit of a run a run in in cups. Okay, it's great, same thing, you know. But then Unai Emery stayed for a bit longer and took us all to the point of kind of like the players were falling out and no one believed anything anymore. So Arteta has had to spend quite a lot of time just getting people to want to, you know, I mean, he managed to do that. That's the bit he did remarkably quickly. But obviously that doesn't make the problems go away. You know, I I I do think we're going to see a big improvement over the season simply because party is going to give us so many more tactical options because of the things he can do which we just haven't knew how anyone can do and and gabriel obviously is going to give us allow us in certain games to play higher up the pitch which is just something we haven't had as an option uh you know obviously the big hope is that saliba gets to the level where he can be introducing the team and give us two certain halves who can actually run quickly in both directions um, which we haven't got but you know, th- and those are going to be the foundations for our improvement, uh, which is a lot of pressure to put on those guys. But thankfully, they seem to be handling it very well at the moment. Um, but yeah, time we need time. Gonna... Yeah, and and that's obviously one of the hardest commodities to get. But speaking of things that are time sensitive, because uh, we've been going for a while, so we probably should wrap up fairly quickly. But uh, we've got two games on the horizon. So we've got Mulder in the Europa League. We already know that Pepe's going to be playing in that one because he can't do anything else for a while. Um, but what, you know, what else are you expecting in our away day in the snow? It's, it's one of those ones where you look at Smith Rowe's inclusion, you're like, okay, hopefully he's fit. It's going to be like that. But, you know, Miguel Aziz going, Ben Cottrell going, Balogun going. You would hope that a couple of kids would get picked to start. Just as, again, building trust, where it's like, look, yes, it's a big game, but we need you. You know, you are the future. Come help now. Because if they if they don't lose to Mold, they're through. And then the Rapid Vienna game and the Dundalk game are complete throwaways and you can play whoever you want. And even if they don't beat Mold or if they lose to Mold, Rapid Vienna at home should be not so much a formality, but they're a good team. And even if that goes pear-shaped... The dock were in the middle of an absolutely hellish set of fixtures where they could be playing their cup final three days before they play Arsenal. Where they've, they, you know, so it's like they could end up playing the kids against our kids just because yeah. they've got no one else. So it's it's one of those ones where if you're an under 23 player, you should be looking forward to playing Thursday, th- Sunday, Thursday, Sunday a lot more than the first team should be. So yeah, yeah. it's it's going to be one of those where. Back in you know, back in Wenger's day, where the kids will be playing the League Cup, they're going to be playing this a lot more. So, Carlos getting a, go to Europe, isn't it? <laughs> yes, very, very much so. It'll be, you know, Pepe brings Pepe brings his friends around around Europe. So, 
and with you know, the lockdown maybe ending soon in in Ireland, there's half a chance there might you might get an actual a group of fans together for the Dundalk game. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out. So fingers crossed. Just give the kids time. You know they need exposure to big games, just to the the even just to the the sense of you know how how to behave on travel. You know like you know get used to the rigors of you know having to you know prepare for yourself on a Tuesday afternoon for a Wednesday night game instead of a Wednesday morning. Like it, you know little things. Get them you give them that experience. Give them that sense of they belong to the club. That they're part of the club's future, and then see how they deal with that from there. Do they get a big head or do they they show that they've been loved and they, they, they kick on and they try and build on their game. Like it, little things like that, like the, the long-term aspect of the game. How do players like that react to being given 180 minutes of football? Does it go to their head or do they do what Saka does and gets knuckles down and adds a little bit to his game because he recognises that 180 minutes for him isn't enough? Does he go, oh, I like this. I'm going to prove that they shouldn't drop me and then prove undroppable. You know, so... Give so him that chance. From old game, who, you know what? what do, what's your sort of? I mean, obviously, we're still a bit of slight uncertainty about injuries and and COVID and isolations, but yeah, I mean, who's fit? Well, number one, that you know, like, is if Kalashnak is fit, play him. If you know David Luiz is fit, well, if David Luiz is, you know, coming back in paternity leave, play him. You know, like I wouldn't play the whole kids. Like it's a case of you. You know, sprinkle in in here and there. Like I'm sure that people would like to see Balogun play, but Enketi has done nothing wrong. So, yes. you know, does Lacazette need time to get match fit now that he's probably going to be playing Sunday because Pepe's not playing on Sunday? Like it's it's one of those ones where we'd love to see eleven kids play, but needs must. So and also, Mulder aren't a joke outfit either. You know, no, you know that they may not be Premier League level, but they're you know, they're, they're, they're no mugs at the same time, you know. They're, they're... No. So it's, it's one of those ones where Pepe would probably play almost as, you know, a glorified version of the naughty step. But it's yeah. it's one of those ones where, again, needs must. You know, Cedric will play, make the Niles will play. Mm. If the staff is fit, he'll play. Yeah. Like, it won't yeah. be, it won't be, a, it won't be a, like a, it won't be a, a, the 11 that you'd want to see on Sunday, but it'll be a strong 11. But you would hope that Smith Rowe isn't being brought out there to show him the Norwegian fjords. You would hope yeah. that Balogun will at least get thirty minutes at the five. You know, like it's it's one of those ones where hopefully, you know, Joe Willick will be given a, a, a place of the goals. <laughs> yeah, you know, but at least play him in midfield, like uh, instead of attacking midfield. Give Smith if you're going to give Willick the freedom to play number ten against Leeds, then at least give Smith Rowe the same freedom to play ten against Molder. You know, mm-hmm. put players in positions of strength where they can play well, and then hopefully just cobble together a performance that works, that's encouraging. You know, like that. Again, we're in the middle of a rebuild, so I'm I'm not going to get my hopes up and look for swashbuckling attacking football. A result will do at this stage, and if they can show that a couple of decent performances, put a little bit of pressure on those ahead of you. You know, like if number ten is wide open right now, if you know, positions are up for grabs, then show us why you should be picked instead of a lad ahead of you. You know, put a little bit of pressure on. If Enketia does score a couple and Aubameyang does have to play left wing, you know, make sure that Lacazette isn't the automatic choice anymore. Make sure that Willian isn't the automatic choice anymore. There is a willingness now, especially amongst fans, 
that no one is nailed on in this team, maybe apart from Aubameyang. But even then, it's one of those ones where if Nketiah scores another couple of goals, make it a hard job for Arteta to drop you. You know, these, these, are, these are the opportunities to go, right, I'm here now. I'm good enough. There's no one ahead of me that deserved to be nailed on in the starting lineup again and again and again. I should be picked because Saka has proved it's available. Yep. Niles has proved it's available. You know, there, there are ways to get into this team. This team is not winning the league. This team is not undroppable. This team is not something that has to be picked up by itself. It's not Henri Bergkamp, Pires and Youngberg every week. You know, it's, you know there, are, there are spaces available. Here's an opportunity. Please, please take it. Which is why you just really hope that a player like Reese Nelson can just get that slightly, slightly more physical development and slightly more assertiveness to his game. Mm. Because, you know, we've all seen enough of him to know that maybe not a first choice, but the talent to be an, a regular squad player at Arsenal is there. Yeah. It, but it's just, he doesn't seem to, he only seems to play with the combination of either the hunger and self-belief. Yeah, he, he's, a, he's a player that on form will get you 10 goals and 10 assists a season. But is that good enough for Arsenal? Maybe. Well, I mean, it's certainly good enough for this team if he can yeah. get the level of being able to produce his, what, as you say, his talent should be able to produce. Yeah, it's, it's one of those ones where if, if a club like a Newcastle or a West Ham or a Villa came in and said, look, here's 20 million from it might take it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's and it's you know that's not a slight on him like it's you know Liverpool are, are, are the envy of the world right now for being able to sell their kids for 15, 20, 25 million and then three years later they're you know not even able to find a club like it, it's one of those ones where you have to be realistic about this like we are producing a lot of young players that we are really excited for but not all of them are going to play for Arsenal like half the reason you produce these these players is that you you provide a platform for them to prove that they are, they can be high-level professional footballers. And you create an environment for them to prove themselves. And then a club goes in and goes, oh, yeah, he's really good. I'll have him. And you're like, yeah, there you go. Thanks. And you say, and you wave good luck. Like a, watching a kid go leave college. It's like, yeah, thanks. You've done your job. I really hope you do well in the other 36 games in the league this year. Like mm-hmm. it's We have to be pragmatic about this. A lot of players, like oh, Luke Ayling played really well for Leeds on Sunday. Yeah. It, it, was he was he ever within an arse's roar playing for Arsenal's first team? No. But he has shown through hard work and perseverance that he can be a Premier League right back. So Although I have it, to say on Luke Ayling, when, when he used to play, for, when he was playing in the FA Youth Cup run and, and the under-18s that season, I was really disappointed when he was let go because I thought, yeah, he's, he's, he's going to take a while, but he's got something that a lot of his other kids don't have actually. But anyway, that's just an aside. He was a player. Oh, I'm really pleased that he's made it to the Premier yeah. League because I always thought he was a player that had qualities to be a Premier League player. So I'm just really glad that yeah. he's been able to prove those. But, but he was let go because that Arsenal setup couldn't find a space for him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, like that's why he couldn't get within, yeah. you know, he couldn't get near the Arsenal team is because no one thought he, there was a place for him. That was our failing, not his, is my point. It's not his fault that Arsenal couldn't find a spot for him. It's Arsenal's fault that Arsenal couldn't well, find a spot for him. I don't even think it's Arsenal's fault. But I, mean, I mean, ultimately, if you're a defender, you know, it's extremely hard to, to, to get, to, to not be overwhelmed at a top-level club as a defender. There's a reason mm. why there's so few defenders 
you know, most the only defenders who really play consistently at top level clubs in anywhere in Europe are either people who are finished by those now 25 or they end up being all time greats. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, so I don't, I, I, I don't take it as a crit, I don't view it as a criticism, but it is that thing, as you say, it's, it is hard to predict and it is hard to get the opportunities uh, to be, because you, you're not allowed to fail. Yeah. At a big club, you know, but some people they have to fail to to have that. You know, they don't have that smooth progression. They have to have periods of failure or struggle. And of yeah. course, you know, a massive problem we have in this country is our system for producing younger players isn't adequate. We know it isn't, even though we've got a great crop of young players coming through the England team at the moment. Mm. That that shows that our academy system, up to a certain age, is working really well. Yeah. But there's that, you know, that vacuum for people who are too good for kids football but aren't good enough for top level league football. That you know, they go on loan, but then what's in unless they're winning points for the team, there's not incentive for them to make mistakes at the club they're at. Because the club is like, well, you're not even our asset. Yeah. You know, so there's but that's a that's a much bigger issue. Anyway, before we start going down that route, because then we'll be here till tomorrow. Um what, what about the Wolves game at the weekend? I mean, what, what assuming, okay, it's not true, but assuming everyone's available, what team would you put out against Wolves at the weekend? Mm. Leno, same back four. I think the back four did fine. Um, again, yes, Leeds had a lot of attempts, but a lot of them were from areas where you shouldn't expect them to score. Yes, they hit the crossbar twice in the post once, but they hit them from rather acute angles and there would have been good goals to concede if such a thing exists. Like sometimes you just got to put your hand and say, oh yeah, he's put one in from the far corner of the penalty, penalty area into the top corner. Eh. You know, like some, you're not going to concede zero goals in every game. You know, so they played well. Maybe Louise comes in for holding just as a little bit of a, more of attacking threat, just because we're going to be playing so many long balls down the channels. Because That's good God, this good. Yeah. Yeah. it's gonna it's gonna be an awful game. <laughs> I cannot I cannot like cannot say how much this could because Wolves sit back with five at the back for the first half and then attack with twenty minutes to go. So they're gonna let us have the ball and we are almost at our bet when we don't have the ball. Yeah, so yes. it's it's gonna almost be like a game of hot potato with the football. Was it no, you have the ball so we can counterattack on you. No, 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 no. I insist you have the ball, it's fine. So we're going to see a lot of times where Arsenal are going to be lined up in our 2-3-5 against Wolves' 5-2-3. Mm. And it's just going to be, you know, we're just going to cancel each other out. We're going to have our five runners up against their five defenders. And the only, again, the only weakness they would have in that five is at right wing back with Semedo. So, you know, they're going to play him. That would mean that Heardy and Aubameyang and Saka, if he's fit, would have field day playing the left but after seeing that that side completely fail against Villa who have similar failings is he going to you know stick with Aubameyang at centre forward Willian at left wing and then Reese Nelson at what right wing it's which would negate a lot of the advantage we would gain from having Semedo at right back so mm. yeah it's I, I honestly think Thursday's results Thursday performance would have a little bit of an impact because if Smith Rowe plays really well on Thursday or tomorrow night and Wednesday, then he might get the he might get the call. He he might he might get the call to play at ten. Because I do think if he's going to play this four two three one more often, 
anyone could play at 10. I don't think there's no there's no one nailed on for that 10 spot the same way that oh, a yeah. name is yeah. nailed on. So if someone does, if Smith Rowe plays well at 10, maybe he's there. If both, if he doesn't, and or if he does, and there's still a risk of not wanting to play him too much because he's just coming back from injury, hopefully Sack is fit and you can play him left wing and then play William at 10. Mm. You know, and go balls out. You know, go play Nelson as, as the right winger and play a proper four up front so that you can give the returning party and maybe the returning Elneny some sort of semblance of someone to pass the ball to as opposed to the stagnant, slow, monotonous midfield, you know, looking for balls to a to a non-running front five that we've had for the last three months. That would be the that would be the hope. So if, if, if that's the hope, what's your front three then? Um, mm. If Lacazette plays against Mould, he won't play against Wolves. If Lacazette no. doesn't play against Mould, he will play against Wolves. So the fact that Balogun has been brought with Enketia would illustrate to me that either Lacazette and Enketia will play against Mould. It is contingent rather, rather a lot on the Mould game. You know, to see what he's holding back because we're go we're about to enter into a mad period of games here. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, it's yeah. it's going to be you know Wednesday, Sunday, or Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday for a month, and then after that, Christmas, where you know where usually we start going, oh my god, we need to start resting players. We're now going to have to be resting players ahead of that, just to try and get them through that. It's going to be insane. Like it's literally going to be last man standing by the middle of January. And that's when you know fans are going to be starting being let back into stadiums, and maybe they get a bit of boost for that. And then lockdown hits again at the end of January because we all went to each other's house for Christmas. Like it's you know at, at this stage of the season, I do think we need to play it one game at a time and rest as many players as we can for mold. Play a full team on sun, on Sunday against Wolves. Rest as many for the Rapid Vienna game. Play the full team in the in the in the Premier League. Rest as many for Dundalk, play, and then you know switch and swap, switch and swap, and just hope to God that no one gets injured, because that's what everyone else is going to be doing. And the real hope is that you know, quite apart from you know the out of Moles game, is we get we get a win away there, uh, and then the next two Europa League fixtures are, are just gimmies. Yeah, they're just yeah. like well, we play who we play with an easy game. Yeah, and we wreck everyone else. Yeah. And, and, and just and go from there. Our Icelandic goalie actually gets to get a second go. <laughs> uh, it's one of those situations where you you hope you would you would take the odd loss here or there for a, an injury-free December and, and January. Yeah, yeah. You know that that's that's where we're at because like after the Wolves at home, you'd hope with a full team you'd beat them. Vienna at home again, anyone plays. Then it's Tottenham away. Then it's yeah. Dundalk away. Then Burnley at home, Southampton at home, Everton away, and then you're like, okay, well, hopefully, hopefully things start to pick up again against that. No, City in the home of the cup, then Chelsea, then Brighton away are decent, and then it's like West Brom four to three days after that. Like the the next two months are just going to be insane. But it's also that thing of like when when your team is a bit is a bit mediocre, every game seems tricky. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Remember remember it's the days of having to look through. Yeah, there's quite a few times we'd have thought, "Oh, we're at Southampton, sorted." <laughs> yeah. yeah, you look through, you look through your little, that little that little brochure that you were able to fit into your wallet, and you have right. When are we playing? When are we playing United? When are we playing Chelsea? When are we playing Tottenham? And that was it. 
Now it's, oh no, it's Southampton away next week. (laughs) You know, our our, our expectations have been tempered somewhat, but again... Fulham away, that's going to be tricky. (laughs) Oh no, it's Fulham. Like, it's... (laughs) Well, no. (laughs) That's the one exception to the rule. (laughs) But it's, it's, like I said, we are at the part of the season now where because of COVID, because of the the scheduling that's going to happen, it's a game every four days. So just... Manage teams, manage players, manage everyone. Get 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 them through as many games as we can, and then see where we are at the end of the year. Because you know, we have to see where everyone else's injury injuries are too. If Leicester lose Vardy, they're screwed. If yeah, you know, yeah. if Liverpool lose one more defender, they're screwed. If Tottenham lose Harry Kane or Hyunmin Son, they're screwed. Like it's there's so many players relying on so on one or two players right now. Where you know a, a poor a poor injury here or a poor injury there opens it up for everyone. Yeah, it's the yeah, most wide really open league in years. So many of our players are playing like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, we're not going to miss them. <laughs> <laughs> just, just the, yeah, just on that. Just on Fulham, as you because just because you mentioned them, I have to comment. Like, I, I I'm starting to feel a bit sorry for them, even though I was paid off with them for the for the playoff final last year, but. Uh, you know, they're finding new and interesting ways to miss penalties. Yeah. Game after game after game. <laughs> and, and then like, it's like one, one lad will miss it. And he goes, oh, I'm not doing that. I'm going to miss it a completely different way. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Like just go, oh, well. You know, we, we, almost, we, we had the, the ground disappearing on his feet. I mean, what will happen next? There's sort of a biblical intervention. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Another beach ball, a, 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 a streaker from the non-existent crowd. How <laughs> did he get here? Like it's a, a confused steward. Yeah, <laughs> a very, very confused steward. The referee goes, "No, just take it again." Why not? It's the VAR. Although yeah. that happened in the MLS where they had a they had a shootout last week, where the it was saved. Orlando saved the last one, celebrated, and then the ref went, "No, no, 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 no." VAR said that the pet, the, the goalkeeper was off his line, booked him, then realised it was his second booking, so sent him off. Then had a five-minute discussion with his linesman to want to work out whether Orlando City could make a substitution to bring to have a second goalkeeper. <laughs> Initially said yes, then went no. So then Orlando had to put in a defender, who then promptly saved the next penalty. <laughs> 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 you know, like football, like, you know, like, like we, we want we want order, we want order and logic, and yet we don't in any way, yeah. shape, or form. Of course. Of course. It's basically we, we want to win, and if we're not going to win, let's have chaos. Yes. <laughs> yeah, just give just give me uh, just give me madness. Like if, if it's going to be four all, I don't care. Just make it the maddest four all ever. Yeah. And yeah. then go from there. It's why VAR will never work because we want to be able to argue about semantics, and VAR takes out all the semantics. And it's, well, it's just, it, it reduces well, it to VAR will work, but not. But again, they don't know how to use it yet, so they're trying yeah. to use it in ways that. You know, some of the ways are really helpful. I mean, it's I like having it for you know things which are actually genuinely black and white decisions. Mm. But it's when they try and apply it elsewhere, you're like mm, making a bit of rod for your own back there. <laughs> yeah. Well, they've tried to change the laws so that it fits for VAR. They've tried to avoid the mistake that the NFL made by bringing in TV replay for everywhere, and now it's got to the point where when you're watching a game of NFL, you don't know if a person's caught the ball or not. 
something as simple as them just catching the ball. Now they need either two feet down after catching the ball. They need to maintain possession of the ball as they fall. If they get one buttock down, that counts as two feet. It's, it's madness. If you crawl along the ground you, and then you lose the ball, it means that you may or may not have lost possession. It's ju- just because they were able to slow everything down to like frames of a second where if a ball bobbles in your hand while you're on the ground, it means you've lost possession there. You haven't caught it, even though you then regain it by catching it. It's a far. So they've tried to take away all the nuance out of that by changing the laws. But by doing that, they're laws, not rules. They're supposed to be judged, not implemented. You know, a, a referee is supposed to look at something and go, hmm, I think that's a penalty, not that's a penalty. You know, it needs adjudication. So when they take out all the nuance and you know sense out of handball, where now it's well, if it hits your ball, it if you if the ball hits your hand, <laughs> hand ball, <laughs> yeah, well, it, well, half the time if it hits your ball, it's, it's given as handball. But it's uh, it's one of those old rapid or, or, or white hot line. Yeah. yeah, but even like they've gone to the point where they said, look, we're going to take all black grey areas out of it. If it hits your hand, it's handball. What happened? Attackers just started kicking the ball right against the defenders' chests in the hope that it hits their hand, because now it's handball. Thank you. And now, for, and now the lawmakers going, well, we didn't. We, they weren't supposed to do that. It's unintended consequences. It's called yeah. lawmaking. It's why being in government is shit. Yeah, because yeah. there's no because there's no such thing as a good law you can make because people will find ways of breaking it. Like it's so now they were almost having to revert back out of it. But it's it's one of those ones where, well, I mean, laws... they're starting to learn what VAR is for, isn't it? Which yes. is basically VAR or any sort of decision system like that. It's for it's for the things that are black and white, because they're black and white anyway. I mean, hmm. you, you, we shouldn't be making judgment calls about whether a ball crosses a line or whether someone's offside, yeah. because there are it's... things you can just look at something and go yes or no. But for everything else, it's the, for everything else. It's not a decision. It's not an arbiter. It's a tool. Yes, the tool. So the way it, finally they're starting to get around their fact, their fact that the whole point of it is not so you, the referee can be told by someone in a room forty miles away what they should do. Mm-hmm. The person, the someone forty miles away in a room, can say to them, "You might want to have another look at that." Yeah, like bar, bar work for Pepe's head headbutt. Let's be fair. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. The, the referee missed that. The linesman missed it, and he's our he's our people is here. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the Arsenal wiggers have to headbutt in your man. You might want to have another look at that. Like it works perfectly for that. It's yeah. it's all the little things in between, and again, fans are at fault for this too in some regards. Like offside, you're off if you're past the last man, you're offside. It unfortunately computers these days and with you know 1080p and all this like they can get it down to frames as a second so if, you know you've got a little bit of dandruff on the end of your mustache and that's offside you're offside like it's mm. yes it's unfortunate and yes it's taking away some of the spirit of the law but the law says that if you're past the last man you're offside and it doesn't matter yeah. where you draw the line you're always going to be there's always going to be an instance where you're a microbe or a fraction over the line and people will say well, we've got to move the line back a bit then well, how far do you want to move back? Just enough so that your man is off is on site. And yeah, yeah. even if you put it in, right, it has to be daylight. Well, where's the camera? Is the camera directly in line? Because if it is, it'll spot daylight. If it's six inches left or right, it won't. Like yeah, it's, exactly. it's 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 you know. So it's yeah, you know the, the closer you can get with something like that is you have the exactity and you allow for a definable, measurable, measurable distance 
of variation. Mm. That's that's the only thing you can do with that. Other than that, it's just the line is the line, the line is the line. Or you mm. could say it's the line within 10 centimeters yeah. or something like that. But then, but like and, I said, and and then, arbitrary, you... because it has to be arbitrary. Mm. Yeah, and that's the problem. That's why people don't <laughs> like it. But that that's why people don't like it because it's arbitrary. Yeah. Because it well, it, that's the rule. Yeah, but I don't want it to be. I want it to be. You know, I want to be able to debate it. We can't debate it. It's a lot. Like offside isn't a grey area. It's a line decision. There is no difference between a ball like being it's, six it's inches. Of, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, don't tell that to Hector Bellerin. <laughs> <laughs> but like, if if a ball is three inches over the line, it's a goal. If it's three inches, or not over the line, it's not a goal. Yeah. And no one says, ah, well, yes, it's only three inches. Give him a goal. Yeah. You know, like it's, I, it's, I think it's partly because we got you. We've been so used to offside being such a sort of scattergun because it's really, really hard in real time to gather where someone's offside. Yeah, everyone's got yeah. used to it being a bit woolly, and that's yeah. just because the human eye is not perfect. Yeah, and now it is. So yeah. that's on us. So like, but so I, var- me, I like that. I like the f- yes, it can be disappointing. It screws you. Uh, and, and it's particularly disappointing when some numpty in a, in a, in a, in a studio somewhere, and I was happy a few times last season, managed to draw the lines so they're not straight or managed to yeah. choose an angle, which isn't actually on. And then you're just like, well, that's human error. That's yeah. someone just not understanding how to use the technology. But yeah. when, it's, you know, when it's implemented correctly, great. I've, for me, it's like there's nothing to be annoyed about that. That's great yeah. because that's something which there shouldn't be a question about. It is or it isn't, and that's that. Move on. Yeah. And it sucks like, when you don't get away with it, and it's great when it works in your favour. <laughs> yeah, the, the, like I said, the only change I would make to it would be to implement it like rugby so that you can hear them. And oh, again, yeah. the, the MLS did that and then were immediately told to stop doing it by the Referees Association because the referees didn't want people to hear how bad they were at it. Yeah. Literally. So like, that's what needs to change. There needs to be more transparency on it. If people, if they want to take three minutes to debate it... Yeah, even before yeah. VAR come in, yeah. Yeah, if they want to debate it for three minutes in, the, in their booth, work away st- and stop the clock. Yeah, Don't yeah. have the clock running. If you're going to VAR, stop the clock. And that way we're not debating, well, Jesus, they've t- they took four minutes over that, yet there's two minutes injury time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you're having a VAR break, make it a VAR break. If it's going to be two minutes, take an ad. <laughs> you know, make a few bubbles. Like if, well, if you also, as rugby has shown, that working it out bit is great drama. Yeah, it's great drama. It's com- it's quite compelling because sure. sure you're all in a moment of suspense. Yeah, show it on you the know. big screen. Let eighty thousand people go. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's one of like the cricket does it perfectly. Yeah, perfectly, and they're all line decisions. Every one of them, apart from catches, but even the catches, they've gone right. The the umpire said it was this. Let's see if we can prove him wrong. We couldn't prove him wrong, so he's right. And that's it, the end of it. But because, again, football, maybe more than more sports, doesn't pay attention to any sort of responsibility to you know, people in charge, to authority. Where, you know, like Lewis, that, that, that clip of Louis Suarez walking over to VAR to look at it himself. <laughs> and the referee going, what are you doing here? Oh, I'm allowed to look. No, you're not. You're booked. And, he, and he's going, what? Can you believe? Within the laws, like it's you know football, and that's that that everyone who's ever played a game of football does that. That is not you know if you ever play, even if it's five aside, that's a foul. It's not, you know everyone has done it. Like we we pay so little, we give the so little. Reason, the part of the reason everyone's done it is because there's always been uncertainty. 
And if, yeah. there's, and if, and if you've got uncertainty, then things will always be challenged. Yeah. And, you know, ultimately, with things like people complaining about offside, in three or four years, they'll, be, they'll just get used to it. In any reason, there is I don't like it because it's not it's not what they're used to. But actually, as soon as you're used to it, it doesn't annoy you at all because it's just like, okay, well, that's that, you know. Whereas, you know, there are elements of the game, you know, what constitute some fouls are clear, some fouls aren't very clear. Hmm. You know, and that's that's why they say clear and obvious error. Okay, well, I, I think you could probably term that in a way that's slightly less perjurative. <laughs> that would probably be more yeah. helpful. Yeah, but, but your your clear and obvious error is my clear and obvious fact. That's yeah, the thing exactly. too. Like 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 clear and obvious is such a it, so, so it's such a subjective phrase. Like something that is clear and obvious to me isn't clear and obvious to you, making it not clear and obvious. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it, it's it's like glasses. You know, like my glasses will work for you. Idea. Yeah, it's clear and obvious that Brexit is a bad idea. But sadly for me, the majority of people who voted by a small majority think that it's clear and obvious it's a good idea. Yeah. Well, there we go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, there we go. I think we put that one to rights. <laughs> and 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 on that and on that fifty-two to forty-eight bombshell. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I think as as exactly as Stephen says, there, listeners, it's time for us to call this to something of a close. Uh, because uh, Stephen very valiantly has offered to edit this week's podcast and he may have a task on his hand. Uh, hands, sorry, plural. And uh, But the last thing we have to do, because we always do it, scoreline prediction uh, for the two games. It can be, don't think about it, just go with your gut. 3-0 uh, away to Mulder and one all at home to Wolves. 2-1 victory in Mulder, 2-1 victory at Wolves, against Wolves at home. That's even optimistic for me, but yeah. yeah. Well, I've, I, I have, to, have to fill have to fill in for Anita somehow. Well, I've sort of been trained trained with the uh, the uh, the old Arsenal fans in one nil down, two one up. It's just it's just in there. It's in the subconscious, so it's a very happy scoreline for me to think of. But anyway, on that note, uh, and on that non-revelatory bombshell, uh, it's time for us to say goodbye. So thanks again, Stephen, for talking to me and us and making this interesting. No bother at all, sir, any time. And thanks to you listeners if you got this far. If you did, well done. Uh, you deserve a biscuit. I can't send you a biscuit over the internet, but treat yourself to one anyway, or an equivalent snack of your choice. That's one for all of you. Not a <laughs> purr. We're giving you one. <laughs> I'm overruling here. You're allowed one each. <laughs> or if you're that way inclined, an entire packet each. But anyway. Have a great week all. Um, hopefully we'll speak to you next week after two wins in two competitions and a slightly less sinking feeling about us going forward. So come on, you Reds. Cheerio. Good luck.